just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Loki Podcast with John Ball from Present Influence. Welcome to the Loki Podcast. My name is John Ball from Present Influence, and I am joined in my Zoom studio today in the Present Influence coffee shop by a very good friend, someone who I was very excited to get on the podcast because I've known her for a long time. You know, we met in working for the in the personal development industry and we hit it off right from the very start. In fact, uh, I think we just laughed and laughed for uh, a number of days of working together. And that's been an ongoing theme ever since. She's one of the nicest people I know and an amazing coach. In fact, I can remember supporting her and trying to help her win the when there was an award for Britain's Next Top Coach, which she so nearly won uh, and really <laughs> probably deserved to win. And uh, so she is a, an amazing coach and has been doing confidence coaching for a number of years. She's one of my favorite people on the whole planet. So I'm really thrilled that she said yes to being on a podcast with me. And uh, let me introduce Jules Wyman, confidence coach extraordinaire. Hello. Hi, Jules. Welcome to the local. Hi, Johnny. How are you doing? <laughs> I am really good and I'm really happy to have you with me today. I'm excited. I've no idea where this conversation is going to go. So knowing the two of us, it could go anywhere. It could go anywhere. <laughs> so thank God for editing. <laughs> <laughs> Jules, you, you do confidence coaching. And for, um, for what I'm doing in terms of working with people who want to improve their public speaking skills or need to present in some way, shape or form, whether that's online or in person, confidence is a big part of that. Can, can you... Say for even for me because I don't know all of your journey. How you got into confidence coaching and what it what it is that you do as a confidence coach? Brilliant question, John. Um, so um, so I ended up I I had a previous career and I left that career because I wasn't in a great space and I like many of us do, whether it be a job or whether it be a relationship, I blamed the external world for how crap I felt about myself and. You know, I was um, I was overweight. I was eating really badly, not taking care of myself. I was um, drinking heavily, taking far too many drugs, um, and yeah, blamed my world. It was because of that world that I experienced and was being this way. Left there thinking everything would change, and obviously, it was a sharp realization that actually it was nothing to do with that world and everything to do with me. And somebody um, introduced me to coaching and said, you know, why don't you go and get some coaching? Maybe that will help you. Because I had counseling and, and for me that just didn't work. So I went along and had some coaching and um, I think it was the second or the third session. The guy that was I was working with at the time 
said to me, have you been reading personal development books or self-help books or coaching books since I saw you last? And I was like, no, you're meant to be fixing me, dude. I'm not going to be doing any of the work. Why did you ask? And he said, "Um, well, it's just that you've been coaching me for the last 10 minutes. No, I haven't. I've just been asking questions and trying to get some understanding on stuff. And he was like, yeah, exactly. You're coaching me. I think you should go and look into this. So I did. Um, did a coaching course. And as I'm going through the coaching course, as you'll know, you need to have a case studies that you work with as you're learning. And I noticed that this word confidence kept coming up a lot. And I noticed that a client could come in kind of like all sort of hunched down and saying that they don't have confidence or not believing in themselves and feeling a bit crap. Um, but then by the end of the session, they were sat upright, they had a smile on their face or they were walking tall or feeling determined. And they would say, oh, I feel far more confident now. And at that period of time, I would, you know, wave them off and flick my hair over my shoulder and be very much, you know, um, look at me, look at how great I am. I gave them confidence. Now I know that that's not true. But because what, what I realized at that point was they were feeling good about themselves and walking out and feeling like they can do whatever they wanted to do and at that moment in time. But I was struggling with confidence in my own life. It was one of the reasons why I was eating poorly, being in bad relationships, drinking, et cetera, et cetera, because I didn't have confidence. So I got curious as to actually what confidence is. Where do you get it? Are you born with it? Which is what most people think. You're either born with it or not. And, um, and so started looking into it and have sort of been obsessed with it ever since. And it was just one day I went to a, um, a networking event and it was one of these ones. So this would have been about 16, 17 years ago, roughly. And it was at that point where coaching was having a, a surgence and that you were, people were either saying they were a business coach or a life coach. And as we were going around this big table of people, and it, it seemed to me at the time that every third person was, I'm a business coach, I'm a life coach, I'm a business coach, I'm a life yeah. coach. And it was edging its way towards me. And I was like, I'm not going to say that. I need to say something else that, that, that just helps me stand out. And as it came around to me, I didn't, wasn't even really thinking. And before I said it, I said, I am a confidence coach. Oh, I quite like that. And it sort of stuck. Um, and that's, that's where it all went through, really. So before I know it, that became my sort of my signature mark. And, and it's something, and, and I, I talk about, <laughs> talk often about, for me, confidence is a gateway drug to get people recognized. They, they'll very easily talk about that they, they lack confidence or they've had a confidence knock or a confidence crisis. So we can start the conversation there. But it's a gateway into having bigger conversations, whether it be about, self-worth self-perception whether it be about self-esteem relationships career so it's it's a gateway in for people um to help them recognize that that it's not just about that one thing there's there's more around that i get that i mean in conversations i often have with clients where where confidence issues come up now i, I don't specialize in confidence uh, the the way that you do so so i'm, I'm definitely interested to hear more about this and uh, so so when somebody's telling me they're not confident about something one of the ways that I frame that with people is saying that confidence comes with predictability with being able to have an idea of the 
if it's something you haven't done before, there's no reason why you would have confidence because you cannot reasonably predict what's coming next. And uh, so confidence comes with experience, with practice, and with gaining a reasonable confidence of what the likely outcome is going to be. And when you don't have that, there's no reason why you should think you should have confidence. Now, I think we may be talking about some confidence in some different aspects here, but confidence in, in general, I think, is something that people have uh, more from more from experience or, or beliefs that they've learned to um, build up in themselves. So that, that is a frame that I tend to use because mostly where I encounter that with clients is something that they want to do that they haven't done before, their yeah. fears around uh, starting something, which which is now is more around the realms of maybe starting a, uh, starting a webinar or starting some public speaking or pitching for their business and saying I don't feel confident enough to get up in front of a group of people and do that. And, and so when you give people that frame of, well, confidence is only going to come there with experience, it's really suggesting that, that there is only one path to that and that everyone has already gone through that path who is already already good at it. But you know, there, there is more to it because I think sometimes when people talk, or probably most of the time for you when, when you're dealing with people with confidence, I could be wrong, is that they are talking about a lack of self-belief mm-hmm. or a lack of their uh, a lack of the confidence that they can actually achieve anything in the, in the first place. So, yeah. Well, so if you if you take it from the presentation perspective, whether it be you know uh, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a webinar, whether it be standing up and doing your first presentation, um, I, I can remember the very first time that I did it, and um, and it was it was sharing my story, um, and in fact, it was the Wonder Woman story, which you'll know very well, Johnny. <laughs> that the um, for me, if I go back to, to the root derivation of the word confidence, maybe this will help clarify it, because what it, what it literally comes from is the word confidere, the Latin confidere, which means with trust. So when somebody is going to present and they've never done it before and they think they haven't got the confidence to do it, it's because they're not trusting themselves to be able to stand and do what it is that they, they want to do or need to do in that instance. So, um, so for example, when I was on, um, I got the phone call to go, the invite to go on BBC Breakfast Television. I originally, listening to the conversation, I thought they were asking me to go on and do a radio interview. Done plenty of them, no problem. But when they were then saying, can you get to Manchester tonight because we like everyone to be in the vicinity, ready to come in the studio at seven o'clock tomorrow morning, that's when the light bulb went on and I realised it was television. Right. And I... I could hear that self-doubt. I could hear, I could hear that, you know, well, who do I think I am? I can't possibly go on there. You know, I'm not good enough. All of that stuff that most of us hear in some way, shape or form. So what I use and what I teach people with and this will kind of expand out on what, what you were saying is I, I teach people to separate out competence and confidence. So you can only gain competency in something by doing it which then feeds into your confidence. So competencies are external stuff. So like for you with Toastmasters, by going and doing Toastmasters over and over again and getting the feedback, your competency builds up and therefore you've got more information to understand to help yourself on the internal side of it, which is the confidence side because you can trust yourself to go and deliver a presentation and be completely impromptu and just, you know, just ad lib, make it up as you go along. So you've got that trust element being built there. But if you're going to do something where you don't have any competency, 
then and if you're not believing in yourself then that's when the wobble is really going to kick in so for me if I take that the, the BBC interview as an example I had never been on live television I'd never been on television um so and I, I wasn't it, it was about happiness I wasn't a happiness expert so I, I could go into that I'm not all these things and therefore I'm going to say no but actually I did that um that thing of saying yes and then work it out afterwards so I said yes and then put the phone down and sat and went okay let's use my own model here what competencies do I have? What, can, what evidence do I actually have that links into this? Can I have a conversation with two people and not know where it's going to go? Yeah, I've done that before. I've sat on a sofa without alcohol and had a conversation with two new people not knowing where the conversation is going to go. So I can do that. Can I get to Manchester? Yeah, I can do that. Can I talk about happiness knowing that the conversation is probably only going to be about two, three minutes long because it's snapshots on BBC Breakfast Television. It's not a big, long, hour-long, in-depth interview. Yeah, I can. I've, I've done enough workshops on it. I've done enough training on it. I've read enough books on it. Uh, yes, I can. So tick on that. Do I know what a TV studio looks like? Yeah, because I used to work in television. So I've been, I know the format. I know what it all looks like. So I can do that. So, so basically, I, I, I'm, I'm building up a competency picture of things that are similar, even though it's not the same, so that it helps that part that's going, oh, to calm down and go, well, I've got some experience here. I may not have the literal experience, but I've got some experience. And going through all of that then, um, and then the second part of the competency side of things is, oh, then look, is there anything that I can do to help me get any more knowing? So it might be things such as um, turning up to the venue early and, you know, making sure that you know how to get on and off the stage, getting clarity on, on who's introducing you, when you're being introduced, whether there's water on stage, getting as many things like that in the pot. Um, so in the instance of Manchester and the BBC, <clears throat> I'd never been there before, so immediately pulled up all the information on um, Google, started looking at the location where the hotel was in relation to the studio, getting my timings. Obviously, I'm a girl, so the thing that panicked me was, what am I going to wear? <clears throat> so just took a load of things with me and went, well, if I can't make up my mind right now, I'm not going to put that pressure on myself. I kind of grabbed my wardrobe and put it in a suitcase. <laughs> Anybody would have seen, I think I was going away for a week, but no, just, I just need something to wear for tomorrow morning. Um, so all of those things I'm doing then to help build up that side of things, which then helps me tap into trusting myself that I can do this, even though I've never done it before, I can do it. And I think, I think part of the challenge that people have around confidence with that is that they think they've got to get it right. They think they've got to get it perfect. They think they've got to nail it the first time. And it's like, mm. no, <laughs> it's all a learning experience. You know, one of the trainers that you and I worked with that I will never, ever forget him saying, and you'll know who I'm talking about, is that when he said, you know, when you do a presentation, this is your practice before your next practice, before your next practice, before your next practice, before your next, and so on and so forth. And that's really stuck with me that no matter what interview, webinar, presentation I'm doing, it's my practice before my next bit because then that gives me the opportunity. I'm always going to learn something from this, always. Yes, yes. I'm going to try and get that very personal as a guest sometime in the future. Are you? Brilliant. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he'll agree, but, but yeah, absolutely right. And uh, and it is it's all it's all practice, and there is this 
pressure it seems almost that that you're supposed to be good at stuff right away and that if you're not naturally that you're supposed to be naturally talented and if you're not naturally good at it you're not good at it yeah well I I think unfortunately I I do think the um uh uh the access to social media and YouTube and all of that side of things is um it, it makes it look like people have got this nailed from day one you know, it doesn't matter whether you're looking at a YouTuber or an influencer or on Instagram or whatever. It looks like they've got it nailed from day one. But one, very often we don't understand that they've got a team of people behind them. You know, even if it's one or two other people, they you don't, it's not just them. And two, very often we don't understand how, what they've been doing prior to this that, that, that leads them all the way up to this. So, so for example, my background of working in TV and theatre when I first started going into doing presentations and even event management, actually, which I was doing for quite a while, is that for me, I'm looking at the stage where someone's about to present as a set. So is everything in the right place? How does it look? How does it look from this point? What are the, where are the sight lines? So, but I didn't, I wasn't born with that. That's not a natural talent. I learned that through my background of, of, and I think that very often people don't realize that and they just, I think talent shows haven't helped because it looks like somebody's had overnight success when in actual fact they might have been singing into a hairbrush in their bedroom for the last 10 years before they even got to that point. And, and practicing and going to classes every day. And getting every feedback. Day day and, yeah. yeah, having coaches to, to help them and all of that. I think it's very easy to forget that and just see and go, oh, well, it's all right for them. They've got it. And I've been caught in that many times and... It's just not helpful. You know, my mum gave me my old school reports um, literally from junior school. So from I started school when I was four, right the way through to my teenage years. And one of the things that I noticed that was very prominent, especially in primary school, was um, she's great at communicating. She's a great talk- talker. She, you know, she can talk to adults. She talks to the kids. She's, she's, she's really good. She speaks really... And this was being echoed right the way through. So... Maybe there was a natural or is a natural talent there or a natural pull towards that that, that I then suppressed for a number of years before it's now there's no shutting me up. But I th- and I think I do think that every single person has something where that is concerned that is a natural talent. But I think the problem these days is everyone thinks seems to or many people seem to think that that means that they have to make money from it or that they have to be um, the, the biggest and the best at it, that they have to be writing the next best Amazon seller books, you know, rather than just enjoying their natural talent. But I think that also it's, it's about then recognizing, you know, I've, it's the only reason I share my backstory. You know, I, I stand, I, I will very often, if it's appropriate, will let people know that, I think it was about 18 years ago, I attempted to take my own life. And I'm extremely proud to be a failure at that because otherwise I wouldn't be sat here. Um, but I only tell people that because I want people to know that what they see right now has taken work. You know, this this wasn't something that just, you know, ta-da, was born, born this way, as uh, um, Lady Gaga would say. But I think that, that I think we've all got to recognise that. It's, it's like... If you take somebody even as big as Tony Robbins, he honed his graph by sitting in a cafe or a restaurant and literally saying to people, anyone got a phobia, let me try something on you. Anyone got a phobia, let me do it. And he honed that skill of NLP in that instance because that's what he wanted to do. 
so he didn't just suddenly you know go put on put on a gig and go right i'd like twelve thousand people there and it happened overnight it's it's just not you know but i mean there's also something about that he didn't just suddenly get somebody who spotted him and said hey you've really got something yeah that 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 uh, the team behind him would have taken time to build up as well and to, and for him to get connected or encounter the people who would be able to support the, the work and the message that he wanted to get out there. And I think it's, I think it's it, 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 the thing that I notice so much is that people are, they're hankering after a magic pill or a silver bullet. And, and I think that personal development, spiritual development, the beauty industry, there's so many industries, even sports that, that, that allude to them through their marketing and advertising that this is the magic pill, you know, just do this one thing and everything will turn out okay. And, you know, having spent, well, I have no idea how much money I've spent on courses and books and Indeed. God knows what else. Yeah, let's yeah. just not go through that. Thankfully, I have a very understanding accountant who recognizes the the, the uh, passion that I have. Um, but it, it's, it, there is no one thing. You know, all of it takes effort. All of it takes practice. You know, you, go, you going every week to Toastmasters, and getting up and doing what you do in Toastmasters, for example, that's effort. Showing up, doing that, learning, getting the feedback. And even before we came on the call, you were saying something, you went, I need to stop saying that. And you become become aware of that. It's it's all learning. One of my favorite quotes is um, Dan Gilbert's, we're all um, humans are works in progress that mistakenly think they're finished. And we're just not, we're just, every day is a, is a school day it's every day is an opportunity to learn it's, it's interesting and and this is i'm trying to think of a way to say this without it sounding big-headed so some feedback i got last night after after the talk i did and as i explained to you before we chatted that it, i just decided to improvise the whole thing mainly because i ran out of time to prepare it but also i i just made the decision that actually it's good for me to improvise because that's a skill that i'm working on and that's something that i am working to improve and be better at and i know i can do it and and i will do it and i can deliver a perfectly good talk off the cuff and so that's a really nice skill to have and one that when i first even when i first went to toastmasters i wasn't so good at improvising in that kind of way i could get up and do a one or two minute talk but for, for a five to seven minute presentation, I would struggle. I would run out of things to say. So people were coming up to me, especially some of the newer members of the club, and saying, I don't have any feedback for you. I don't have anything to give you. I can't see how you could improve that. And I, and I find myself having to say to them, there is always room for growth. There, there are always things to develop. It's mm. just that as you progress, some of those things maybe are less obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think then that's when we have to look for people who will challenge us and, and um, stretch us more. Um, it's the, um, I think it was Andre Agassi that when he was, before he became a professional tennis player, he would go around um, tennis clubs and he would ask, who is your number one seed in your tennis club? And he would ask to play them. No matter, and, and, and if I remember the story correctly, I'm not a tennis fan, so... Um, but it was, he would be doing this like from the age of 10, 12, 13 years old um, and be playing adults, knowing full well that he's going to lose, but knowing that by playing them, it was going to push his game up. 
And I think that's the thing is that, that, that we can very easily get caught in that safe realm. I only, I only want to go and do a presentation where I know everyone's going to go, you're amazing. This is, this is exactly it. Interestingly enough, the theme of the Toastmasters meeting I attended last night was growth mindset. And, and that relates exactly to what we're talking about right now, this idea that if you, if you haven't succeeded in the first try or you get negative feedback, that that means you're shit or that means you're never going to be good at it. It doesn't. It means you have some room for improvement. You have mm. some things to work on. And so if you take it as being that, it, that you you have this image of yourself and this standard that you want to be living up to and the feedback comes back less than that, that you are less than you thought you were and that's hard to deal with and it's probably going to be very emotional and upsetting for exactly that reason. And I think we all still, as much as we may work to be growth mindset, I think often it is hard to not take these things personally in that kind of way. And, and, see, and see it as an attack as well. Yeah. I think that's, that's a lot of the time people perceive feedback as an attack. Exactly that. So when you are in a growth mindset, then, and you can re sometimes remind yourself to do that, but some people do more naturally have that mindset of, I appreciate the feedback, even if it's, even if it's negative, or you go out and bomb on stage, then you want to take a look at why and where there's room for growth. And if you can, get feedback about why people didn't like it this particular time or what you can do to improve rather than just saying, well, I, I clearly suck at this, so what's the point? Well, I think, I think that that, I mean, there's so many things. I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that. Um, so one of the things I, I noticed that seems to be coming through culturally is the... Um, I don't know whether it is just all around resilience, but the, the, the speed at which people give up rather than, um, you know, applying for a job, for example. Oh, well, I, I applied. I didn't get it. Okay, well, apply for another one. And the amount of times I will say to people, did you get feedback after they've had an interview and they've told them, did you get feedback? No, I didn't ask. Like, well, how are you going to know whether you didn't get the job purely because there was somebody who had more experience and you were amazing or how are you going to know that actually you bombed, you weren't clear, you didn't answer their questions? You need to know that because you're never going to grow otherwise. And, and I think there's a, there's a, in, within the thinking mind, there's, there's such an arrogance where that's concerned of just going, well, I, I know, I know. I've got, I've got, the amount of times I've had people say to me, well, I'm very self-aware. And then I'll reflect them back, something back and they're like, well, I didn't know I did that. I'm like, well, I thought you were self-aware. You know, it's, it's very hard to be that self-aware and listen to those things and one of the things that you said about that when you get feedback I don't even refer to it as positive and negative feedback anymore it's just feedback um, and I can just say thank you to somebody for that opinion and you know and, and go from there basically I can take it on board and I think the other thing that people do they don't do enough when feedback is given I think when someone's giving feedback very often they keep it quite generic and I think that's un unhelpful. It's unhelpful for the person that you're giving it back. Like, for example, you were saying earlier, that's great feedback. It's not helpful feedback, actually, because there's no specificity with that. Well, what does that actually mean? What would that look like? What do you really mean by that? And I think that very often when we give them feedback, we don't ask for that enough to go, well, what, what does that actually mean? I'm doing a um, just started with a new client last week and through our conversation one of the things that came up was the word respect 
And it was in relation to an incident that had happened over Christmas between her and a partner and uh, family members. And I said, well, what does respect mean to you? And she said, well, well, it means respect. Yeah, but what does that actually mean to you? What's your definition? Where are you coming from? What are your, what's your meaning around it? And have you ever asked your partner what his meaning is around it? Have you ever asked any of your children? Have you asked? They're like, she said, well, no, it means the same thing. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Confidence doesn't. In my, my initial conversation with clients when they talk about that they haven't got confidence or they lack it or the crises or whatever. Well, what does that mean to you? What do you actually think it is? Because that's going to give that, that clear understanding. So when you're getting feedback, I think it's, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it is a presentation, whether it is it's your first coaching session with somebody or whether it's, um, you know, you've been for an interview and you didn't get the job. It's get that feedback and get curious as to well, what, does, what does that actually, what does that bit mean? What does that bit mean? Because then you, it, it, very often, and I'm pretty sure you'll see this and know this, Johnny, is that it then, when you, the more you keep asking the question and drill it down, you very often get very clear steps as well. What you need to do is, read this book or apply that or look at that or go and get a coach or go and get a mentor or there's actually there usually is some very clear instructions as to what to do that is going to help that so I think that's that's an important part and the other thing that I did want to come back to is when people get feedback and, and the feedback isn't what they wanted to hear because they thought they were further along and the feedback brings them back to a different place and that causes them um, discomfort but I think what we have to be very clear of is that then we have disillusioned ourselves in the first place to think that we were further along than we actually are and 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 really and truly there's the other person hasn't said or done anything negative all they've done is they've gone you think that you're in Madrid but you're actually in Barcelona no no, no I'm in Madrid no, no no you're in Barcelona you know, whatever it is, it is all they've, they've done is they're, they're just going, look, this is where you're at. But the thing, again, the arrogance of the thinking mind wants to go into, no, but I'm so much further along. It's like, no, you're not. Get clear on where you are. Because if, you are, if you're, disillus- if you're um, deluding yourself that you're further along, then as my coach would say, it's like you're trying to work, work your way around um, the city of York, for example, with a map of Liverpool. Mm. It's just stupid. Sure. And, and I th- I agree entirely with with everything you said, and would maybe maybe just add to that that I think there is a, a level where people get very attached to specific outcomes, and and feel that it has to be that it's all or nothing. It has to be that one outcome. It's like this is my vision of what I want to create, or this is what it this is what success looks like. Mm. And and when it doesn't go exactly to plan, how much of life ever does. <laughs> then then that bit starts to become upsetting because this thing that you have decided is the is the outcome and the only way is anything different to that or anything that appears less than that is going to feel inadequate right and, and so you feel you will feel like you have failed you'll feel like you haven't achieved and and miss out but probably miss out on all the good things that you do have from where you are right now or wherever you have ended up because you don't really know what station your train is going to stop at. <laughs> right. Absolutely. 
So, but I say it's not not just it's not just this attachment to to outcome. It's also this thing of people don't want to hear that things are going to take work. Mm. And and this is perhaps one of the reasons why there are you mentioned earlier about people sort of selling magic bullets and and solutions. That, well, generally, if these things look too too good to be true, and I've fallen for some, I'm sure you have, I'm sure everybody has. And it, generally, when things look too good to be true, they probably are. Mm. It doesn't mean you can't investigate it, but that you it would be beneficial to take enter into these things with some level of skepticism say well maybe it is too good to be true let's take let's take a look and more often than not you'll probably find it is and and this maybe comes from some of the stuff that i've learned in sales and training and selling from the stage particularly about um selling people um what they want and then giving them what they need whereas i do think now in the industry it's, it has got to a level where the the scam factor is really high and, and that the, there are just so many people around who are selling crap products and services with fancy looking marketing and, and some sort of great image that goes along with it. But what they're selling is really hollow. And, and well, I, I think to survive in this industry, you are, or to be what would be deemed as successful in, in, in this industry I think you're one of two things. You're either a great marketeer and, and whatever that, that entails, whether it's great spin, great PR, great BS, whatever it may be, or you're actually very good at what you do. And I think that, I think that, that in my experience, they're, they're just the two camps that people fall into. And I think if you, if you, if you, I think unfortunately in this industry, the, the, the flag wave, and I see it very often when coach training comes up and people will say, well, you know, come and train with us. You can start earning um, uh, 50K a month. That's not why I do this job. It's just not. And I think if you want to be do- doing that level of, of, of finances, then A, you're possibly doing it for the wrong reason. And B, you're going to have to work your butt off because to, to land those kinds of clients... They don't just hand money over because you've done a really nice PDF. You know, it's, and, and, and I think it's, it's unfair, the, that illusion that's being put there, but because people aren't being, doing their due diligence. And as you say, you know, both of us have been, been swayed by it. So it's not like I'm speaking from a place of I've never been caught because I have. Um, and I even still, and I know a lot of it is the thinking mind and the psychology of, um, you know, cause I'll see something even now pop up on social media and I'll be like, Oh yeah, I need to do that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. Do I, <laughs> what's going on here? Let's just not be suckered into it and take, take that step away from it. And it doesn't matter what it is that you want to achieve. Uh, I'm very much of the Malcolm Gladwell, you know, the outliers book about the 10,000 hours. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't know how many hours I've done of coaching and presenting and all of that these days, but I'm, that's why to me I'm still learning, I'm still honing this craft um, because it, it's, it's never ending, I don't think. I think that, that's the, the true learning in life, that, or it should be. If you, have, if you have an idea that learning finished when you finish school, and that you don't have to ever pick up another book again, then okay, maybe it has finished for you, 
that if you want to be someone who grows and develops and and becomes something more that is going to require learning and learning also requires experience and commitment and time and energy and all all these things that often people don't want to have to give and this is this is why i say nobody wants to hear the message you're going to have to work your ass off for this (laughs) nobody wants to hear that which is which is why i have a lot of resistance to things like network marketing companies and all that where they very often even if not saying all of them are unethical but i do think all of them that I've come across sell this idea that it's really easy to make a lot of money from home. And it absolutely is not. You are going to have to work your ass off and do stuff that you might not want to do in order to make sales, like give up your time or uh, train other people up or go to uh, fairs or um, conventions or networking events where you can potentially recruit or sell. And so most people don't really want to do that. For the people who are good at that and who recognize that if you really want to make a business there, you can work damn hard at it and you can probably make a lot of money there. And I know people who do and who have. Absolutely. But they don't sell it on that idea. They sell it on this opportunity of, you know what, you could work part-time from home and make some money. Mm. And yet statistically... Uh, from things that I've looked at, it's somewhere in the region of 95% or more people who go into those opportunities, I use the word very loosely, uh, who go into those opportunities lose more money than they ever make. Right. And and these, this is where I have a problem with this. Like, well, yes, it might be a great product. Yes, it might. there might actually be some real opportunities there. But this idea that, okay, well, you just have to talk to a couple of people and they'll talk to a couple of people and they'll talk to a couple of people. And then you have this huge downline and all this money coming through is, uh, well, yeah, in principle. But the reality of that is, for most people, bullshit because it's never going to go that way uh, unless you work damn hard at it. And, and this is, again, what people want. Now, I, I, on, along that line, too, if it's okay to explore this, this particular thing a bit, um, there is uh, a guy who wrote Millionaire Fast Track. I don't know if you know the book. Uh, Mark, something to Marco. It'll come to me. Um, anyway, the, in the Millionaire Fast Track, a really good book. I highly recommend reading it. And, and one of the things that he talks about in there is this sort of low barrier to entry, that that should be a, that should be a warning flag. If there is a really low barrier to entry, that anybody could do it. So I see that with all the Amazon sellers now. Everybody's getting onto that thing, right, of Amazon sellers. We, a little while ago, it was crypto mining or cryptocurrencies. And, and before that, it was you know, the various network marketing things. All these bandwagons that people are jumping on that have no barrier to, no real barrier to entry. So anyone can do it. And the mm-hmm. thing is, if anyone can do it, everyone will do it. And so immediately you get a flood into the market. And statistically, again, only very small percentages of people are actually going to have any great level of success with it. And those people that will have success with it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's, there's two people in particular that um, are based here in York that are um, with and are advocates of a particular network marketing um, organization um, that I do think has great products. And I know, I mean, he's given up his, um, his full-time job because the, what they're earning now from the network marketing is covering everything and is giving them the lifestyle that they've been w- w- looking for. 
and his wife started it. And I know how hard she has worked. You know, I don't think in, especially in the first four or five years, I don't think there was a networking event that I went to that she wasn't there. I don't think that there was a local fair that she didn't have a stall at. I don't think, you know, I, 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 my office is right in the city centre of York and um, I could nip out and go to a coffee shop, for example. And so often I would see her there with somebody, with the brochure. Going, she has worked so hard. And I'm not saying that he hasn't, by the way. Um, he's done it in a, in a different way. And, and, and I think that you're exactly right. When people see that, they go, I, I want that. I want that. It's like, you want that lifestyle. Well, if you want that lifestyle, you are going to have to work your butt off to get it. I don't care whether it's you want to be a, a top speaker. I don't care whether it's you want to be a best-selling author or whether it is that you want to be a musician or a sports person. Or business. It doesn't matter. I don't think there is any person, I certainly can't think of one, that has got to that position and has not worked in some way, shape or form by practicing, falling over, failing, whatever it may be, to get to that point. And I think the, the innate laziness that is within the mind, or rather within the brain, that it, that it want, doesn't really want to do very much, I think, unfortunately, that innate, innate laziness stops us. I mean, one of the classics, I might have shared this with you before, this was a few years ago now, I went to one of the local coffee shops, gave myself a bit of break away from the office, and I'm sat there just, just having a drink and just looking out the window and I'm a nosy so-and-so. So I listen in on people's conversations because I find it intriguing. I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I do as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And there were these two ladies that were sat there and one of them was just moaning and moaning about how she hasn't got the time to do this and she hasn't had the time to do that and hasn't had the time to do this, that and the other and blah, 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 blah. And this went on for, I don't know how long with, with and the other woman was kind of, as I would say, wallowing with her. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You know, it's hard to fit everything in. And this conversation went on and I'm sat there kind of head in hands. And then there was a sort of break in the conversation. It went off somewhere else. And then it came to, they were talking about Game of Thrones. And one of them turned around and went, oh, my God, it's amazing. We've just been to watch so many, so many episodes over the weekend. And it was, I just wanted to get up and go, hang on a second. You've just been saying you haven't got to do the time. You haven't got the time to do all the things that you're saying that you really want to do to change your life, to get the lifestyle. And then you've just wasted. And I Googled it at the time. I can't remember how many it is now. But it's like, it's ridiculous. It's like eight days of full viewing to watch the whole lot. You know, it's a huge amount of hours and commitment to be able to do that. And yet people yeah. say they haven't got the time for stuff. I'm like... I've just realised that I gave up eight, eight days of my life to watch Game of Thrones because I've seen yeah. it. <laughs> so but other people having that realisation now as well. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, I can't say I've ever... I couldn't even tell you the theme tune. I've never watched it. Um, but, it but it's not that I haven't done it with other programmes, don't get me wrong. But it, it's, it's when people are... It's about looking at what's important. You know, if you, if you really do want that lifestyle, whatever that is, then you are going to have to give things up. You're going to have to stop doing certain behaviors. And sure. another, another great quote, which I don't know who it's by, is um, one of the reasons why people resist change is because they focus on what they have to give up rather than what they have to gain. And I've succumbed to this probably daily, if I'm honest. But the but it's 
it's so important to recognize that the focus has got to be in the other direction. You've got to look at what, what is possible by me stopping doing X. What is, what is potentially that going to give me? And it doesn't mean it's going to happen overnight at mm. all. But when you can let go of those expectations and keep moving, I mean, if you honest, honestly, Johnny, if you'd have said to me, even when we met, which would have been, oh my gosh, 13 years ago, is that really possible? Yeah, yeah but it would have been is. around about that yeah. time. God, how did that happen? Anyway, <laughs> if you'd have said to me that I would be working with the kind of clients that I am now, doing the kind of work I am now, I would have laughed at you and said, there's no way. But I've worked my butt off to get here. <laughs> and right. that person 13 years ago wouldn't have been able to sit and have this kind of, even this kind of conversation without going, well, Johnny, what are we going to speak about? I need to know what I'm going to speak about. You right. know, she would have been focused on that. When, when we first met, I was still pushing trolleys up an airplane aisle at 35,000 feet for a living. So, yeah, um, I, did, I did refer to you as a trolley dolly the other day when I was talking to, to about somebody else like, who's going to kill me for saying that. And no, 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 no. I'm proud of my trolley dolly days. Uh, I was a tart with a cart, that's for sure. <laughs> and I had, I had the best time. I really loved it. And that whole, that whole job allowed me to have time to also work at personal development events and train up as a coach and get practice experience and, and to be ready to go, to go full time with that and make that transition. Um, so yeah, but I worked, I worked my butt off for that as well to make that transition in my life. And, uh, and that wasn't an easy one. No, it wasn't. It was a, it was a rough journey. One, one that I'm, I'm glad I stuck with now and but I couldn't see the the long end term result but I also had a feeling inside of me that I couldn't couldn't but I didn't want to do anything else so this is what I wanted to do and so it was going to be this or something related to not podcasting but uh although I do love this uh but it was going to be something related to coaching personal development some kind of training because that's where my heart is that's where my passion is and that's where I saw myself doing it that uh, I had fun in my job before, but it wasn't rewarding. You know, it was uh, it was more or less the same thing day in day out with some different experiences, but I never really felt like it was rewarding me on a a deeper level, on a, like I was really making a difference or that I was doing something that was really beneficial. It was nice. It was uh, giving. Slinging trays and drinks at, uh, <laughs> at high altitude, <laughs> it was, uh, and and you know, permanent permanent jet lag and everything. Uh, but it had it, it had its some superb moments, and, and I had a lot of fun. I have no regrets about it at all, and and I'm really very happy about it. But I don't want to go back to it. Mm. And my my life has moved on. I'm much more fulfilled in what I do now. And, and I feel like I've moved more into a, a fuller expression of who I am and who I wanted to be from, from coaching I've had and from the development work that I've done on myself and even on the coaching work and development I've done with other people that has helped me grow just as much probably as it's helped them as well. So the, for me, it was taking that longer term picture and really not, not being too focused on the short term. And, and I have, I've heard it success described as the ability to uh, the ability to go for um, to avoid short term gratification for a greater goal. Mm. So success can be defined as your ability to resist uh, instant gratification for something greater. 
like your ability, you know, if your if your goal is weight loss, it's your ability to resist the chocolate cake because you want to be, uh, you want to be, or you're you're resisting the urge to stay in bed when you could be getting up and going and doing some exercise. It, so success in anything is really getting yourself past those short term obstacles or the short term gratification temptations. That we it's not easy because the thinking mind is, 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 is focused on short-term gratification. So that is not easy. So don't give yourself a hard time when you're not. Right. <laughs> you know, just be aware of it. But also, but also be aware. I think one of the things that made, made the biggest difference for me, I, I understood that you had to, to have a long-term focus. And you had to uh, pick some direction to move yourself in. Now, where I wanted to end up has transformed and changed along the way. It wasn't just a fixed idea. It was talked about being attached to a particular outcome before. That has transformed and changed because I have allowed it to um, I've gone with where, where feels right to go or what feels like the right development because I know things um, later on that I didn't know earlier on when I was making those decisions about where I wanted to go that informed me in new and different ways. So if I didn't pay any attention to that and just stayed in that one fixed idea of the outcome I wanted, it would be it would be really hard to to put all that to one side mentally and say I'm not going to use that so so it's, it's been this evolving changing um, destiny if you like of where I want to see myself getting to and and will probably look a bit different next year to what it does right now as well and I think I you know I know it's the cliche of it's not about the destination it's about the journey but I do think that that statement is very very true and you know one of the things that popped into my head then as, as you were talking was um so this sounds a bit random, but years ago, I um, I had a cat who I miss greatly and I have never got another cat because actually I don't want another cat. I want that cat back again. And I know that's not possible. However, I discovered this um, guy on Instagram called Dean. Um, one by, and his, his Instagram account is One Bike, One World. And he's Glaswegian and his whole thing was he was getting on a bike and he was going to cycle around the world. However long it took, that's what he wanted to do. But he's not, he's not, I'm going from here to there and then there to there and then there to there. That was his hope. He was just going to cycle and go wherever he was drawn to next. And partway through the journey, and I can't remember where it was, he stopped off um, to have a break or drink some water or whatever. And he heard this little kitten meowing. And so he got some food out and this scrawny little cat came up to him, little tiny kitten, and he, he put some food out for it. And he's obviously a big animal lover and chatted to the cat for a while, but then went to start off. And of course the cat started to follow him mm-hmm. and he made a decision that he was going to take the cat with him. And the cat's called Nala and she looks like my old cat, which is why I said that bit earlier. But this, the reason I'm sharing that story is because he had, he had a, a destination in inverted commas of where he was going to be going and I'm pretty sure that his, his intention was not to be picking up a cat, that he was going to have to stop off and get vet checks and passport things done and buy new equipment so that he can, she can have her own basket. And the, the amount of stuff that she has when he was in um, Greece for the summer kayaking, she had her own little uh, life jacket and all of that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure that he didn't set off with that intention. But just because he set, he set off, he started on that journey and that was the next bit. And then now he's got Nala and it's like he has, I don't know how many followers he had before his video came out about Nala, but he is, I mean, he's just raised nearly a hundred thousand pounds 
through selling a calendar of him and Nala's journey <laughs> with all the money going to animal charities. I'm pretty sure he didn't set off to do that either. No. I'm pretty sure he didn't set off to be on the one show or to be on, you know, to be an Instagram hit the way that he is, but he set off. And I think that's important. I think that people get too hooked on that desktop. I want to be such and such. or I want to have da, da, da. Rather than just going, do you know what? I'm just going to get going and seeing where it takes me. Right. Because, because, and I think that's the important thing. We, we need to get moving. We need to, and all of us have a little pull for something, whether it's making the best jam or running a cafe or doing getting involved with coaching or whatever it is or having a podcast and we have something it's like okay so take a step in that direction and then see what happens because you know it's only when you take that step that something else will be revealed and you will learn something about yourself in that step that will then help you on that next bit and as long as you keep taking those steps I think that's what's so important with you know it's not having an attachment to the outcome yeah, I, I, really I don't. Yeah, I don't feel that I have an outcome with podcasting as such, um, other than having fun with it. Mm. I started a podcast as I did a podcast episode as a Toastmasters project, and had so much fun with that. I thought I want to do this again, and <laughs> right. talked to a few other people about it, and, and started. And, and so I've been. Some have been okay and not so good as I wanted but mostly it's been a really fun experience but you've learned from those ones that didn't go well right I'm learning from all of it uh, right and, especially from the ones that didn't go well uh, and each week I find my each time I speak to somebody that I, I am finding that I I feel that I'm getting a bit better at doing this and I, I hope I am I hope people who are tuning into the podcast regularly might notice that as well. Maybe. Is that is that you are opening yourself up for um, a, you know? Feedback? Yeah, well, <laughs> I, I I would actively want the feedback because you know, I don't need everybody to like me. I don't need everyone to think I'm fantastic. But if somebody has some feedback for me that's going to help me grow, I'll say, okay, yeah, you're right with that. That's something I can improve upon. That would be great to hear because those. That, that is how we grow. That is Absolutely. where we move from. If pe if the feedback is that people don't like me and uh, don't want to listen to me, great, go and listen to another podcast. But do you know what? That I think that I think that again, this is something that has become quite pervasive um, because because of the um, prolific nature of the world that we live in. That more people are doing podcasts or YouTube or whatever it may be. Is that people? It becomes um, I like them or I don't like them rather than okay well what's their message what because because actually anybody listening to this they don't know you and I sure <laughs> they only have this snapshot and this moment but sometimes I think that there are some amazing people out there that have fantastic messages that because they don't say it in a way that other people like or because they're being controversial or whatever that that people then just go I can't stand him or her sure when in fact it's like, forget the person, listen to the message. Because I think very often what happens is when we don't like, and I'm taking this from a quote that my coach says, which is when we don't like the messenger message, we tend to shoot the messenger. And it's like, no, that's just not helpful. It's not a helpful way of doing it. And I think if we want to open ourselves up to all sorts of, whether it be feedback, whether it be development, whether it be growth in whatever way, shape or form, then we need to have conversations with people with people that we don't like to hear them and see if we can stretch ourselves and go, yeah, I don't agree with that, 
But you know what? I get where you're coming from. Mm. And I think that's, that's important that, that it's not about whether you and I are, I are liked. I don't know if you saw, I put up a, a testimonial that came in from a client yesterday, which I just think is hilarious of what he's written. Um, a one-to-one coaching client. And he, and he put something like um, that I asked him awkward questions. Um, I made him uncomfortable. I made him laugh and I peed him off. And I was like, brilliant. I was doing my job <laughs> because I wasn't letting that thinking mind get stuck in the routine of nicey-nicey and everything's fine. I was sure. challenging that thinking. He's now about to start in a, a new job in a new city and have a whole new adventure. And I think that that's what's so important for us sometimes that that discomfort that we might experience through listening to somebody's message or that discomfort we experience through having that feedback is is not about that person. Well, I don't like Johnny because Johnny told me that I've got a red nose or whatever, it, it, you know, that it's actually, okay, well, what do I need to know about that? Even if it's uncomfortable and squirmy and it's horrible and uncomfortable for me to actually hear, I need to take that on board. And I think sure. that's what's so amazing that I know that you do and, and have done in the whole time that you and I were very naughty and misbehaved whilst we were doing... Uh, personal development events and you know yes. doing lots of fun things and running around and being an idiot <laughs> and lots of dirty um, jokes and whatever else, oh, yes. it's got to be done it's got to be done um but you know but equally there there was this this passion for um for growth and passion for that feedback and i think that that shows um with the people who have continued from even from our collective group that were around at that time that have continued not necessarily I don't mean that they had to have gone off and be a coach but that they've you can see the tenacity that they've taken from that and applied it into their life and the amazing things that they that they are achieving in whatever realm it is um yeah I'll shut up for a moment <laughs> <laughs> well really uh, the the thing that was in that was in my head and that I, that I did want to bring in here was the, the concept of that there really is no growth or development without challenge in your life and sure we want to ideally be challenged in positive ways and, and challenges that we want to rise up to and take but sometimes we get challenged with stuff we'd rather not have to deal with and this is where it comes to the decision point of it might still suck and you might not want to have to deal with it but dealing with it and, and really working to become bigger than the problem bigger than the challenge and to overcome it is a growth journey and so this is another part of perhaps why people don't want their success right away they don't really want that they want it instantly i can i can remember a time when i I really used to wish that someone would spot my talent (laughs) yeah i've never thought that about myself ever sure but well well maybe I was hoping someone would see something in me that perhaps I wasn't seeing myself. But, you know, that thing that you might get plucked from obscurity and and that someone would help you rise to the top. Well, maybe that happens for some people. And, and in fact, I know it's happened for some people. And and some people have had really easy journeys to get to where they've gone to. And and I used to be really envious of that. I wish my life was that easy. I wish my journey to success was as easy as theirs. And now I don't mm. because of who I've had to become in order to get to where I got to and the challenges that I've had to overcome and the person that I have grown to become because of that. Whereas I see those people who had that easy journey were also mostly unchallenged 
And I also see they have mostly stayed the same as well because, right. because they haven't had the challenge in their life. We, we tend to think we don't want challenge, but we need it. We have to have it. And when you, when you recognize that and seek it out, then you can find more of the positive challenges to help you grow in the ways that you want to grow and develop in the ways that are going to be most beneficial to, to the outcomes that you want to create in your life. But the, you, you will still sometimes get challenged with stuff that you don't want to be challenged with as well. Well, you're, 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 either, you're either evolving or revolving right you, you're either just going around in circles or you're actually putting some effort and there's two people as you were talking then that sprung to my mind uh, one of whom you know the olympic athlete that is uh, very close to me mm-hmm. um, and i she's quite often when i go to visit she'll be coaching so she'll take me to um crystal palace to go and be with her while she's coaching some of the uh, young athletes the up-and-coming athletes and it's you know it's never been summer is all I'm saying whenever we've been and there is very little heating in Crystal Palace and it's very, I mean, I don't know how many layers of clothing and I don't do cold, um, but it is amazing to watch and listen to the, the way she will push somebody and you can see the, the, the pain and the discomfort on their face of, of this is hard and she's like, yeah. And I've even heard when someone's going, oh my God, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up. She's like, go and do it over there and then come back because she's been through it herself and she knows that you just need to get that out of your system, but then you carry on going. And obviously not to the degree of doing pain to yourself or damage to yourself because she's very skilled at what she does, but she, she knows that and she knows that stretch. And I absolutely agree with you. There is, there is no growth without disruption. And I think that needs to happen. That needs to happen for all of us. I mean, look at the world that we live in at the moment and how much disruption is going on. So many people are, petrified of the uncertainty and the disruption that's happening in the world i'm like bring it on we're going through a significant change as a human race there's some there's some evolution that's happening here even if we can't immediately see it and the other person that i that that sprung into my mind was um jim carrey Mm. i'm a big fan of jim carrey not necessarily all of his work but especially now and i know he's been classed as a bit of a nutter these days but i think he's had an awakened experience and he's he, he, I find him very inspiring to listen to. And I was watching an interview with him recently and he was describing his, his journey and his, where he started out. And there was a particular gig that he was saying about his worst gig and I can't remember if it was his first or whatever, but it was at a comedy store and people were just like seriously heckling and, you know, what are you doing? Get off. He had things thrown at him and he stayed there and he stayed the course. He did his whole set. And I think even, even when it got quite high intensity of things being thrown and comments being thrown Mm -hmm. that he, he, I can't remember the full story, but he went and did something like he went off the stage, but then he came back and went and started playing on the piano really badly. And he was like, I'm not going to move. I'm going to keep going until you all go home. And he just, you know, he stuck at it, even though the whole room were going, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you're rubbish. He was like, there's something for me to learn on it. That that tenacity of going through that, I do think is so important. And I think that, so linking this back to presentations, I think that's what stops people a lot of time from getting up on the stage is because they don't want it to go wrong because that's too much of a, I'm going to look an idiot. I'm going to be judged. That's too much of a, an embarrassing place for them to be. So they will, they won't do it. They'll avoid it. Whereas in actual fact, go up there, fuck up, 
make that mistake, learn from it, and then go again. Get back on the bike as quickly as possible and have another go. And it may be that you fuck up a number of times before you start relaxing in it and get, getting the kind of responses that you're looking for. But as you said right at the beginning in relation to confidence, you've got to go and do it in order to be able to get that feedback, in order to be able to get that. But avoiding it is never going never gonna to make a difference. Sure. And anything you want to get good at. And uh, you know, like um, there was a TV show that was on when we would have been much younger that probably most people listening to this won't remember or ever have heard of where um, where the, a certain gentleman would sing a song all about having dedication. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and <laughs> that's, that's what you need. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's really true. It, it does take a, a dedication to achieve anything worthwhile. To, to do anything that, that, that matters. And as far as, as I don't really care much for these sort of instant opportunities and things that come up in life because any, anything that's worth having is worth working for. Absolutely. And, and, and that might be a relationship as well. I think that's the other thing that, that you know, the, the instant gratification that people are looking for is this magic Hollywood romance that's going to last forever and be, you know, fantastic and I'm pretty sure that you, that you work at your relationship. I'm pretty sure that I have in the past. I'm not currently in a relationship, so I can't say that I am at the moment. However, even though I'm not in a relationship, I'm still working on, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this, about my relation to relationships. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I'm still working on it, even though I'm not in a relationship. So I think it, it, it is that that dedication is what you need. Um, is imp- is important. He was one of my heroes. Um, it it really is important to recognise. And I think that, as you've just said, you know, if you want something, then work at it and recognise you will fall down. You will make mistakes. It won't always be an easy journey, but it's worth it. And I've I've seen that. It's really interesting for me that having been um, working as a coach now for 15 odd years and then I don't go to as many networking events now but it's more seeing it on social media but staying in the same uh, location as well is when I first started out it was you know you threw a stone in a networking event and you'd hit a coach quite frankly but then there was this amazing dip where there was only two or three of us that, that anybody knew and we all had very different markets so it was beautiful it was a beautiful triad in that instance and then there seems to be this resurgence at the moment of, of everyone and his uncle calling themselves a coach but actually not really understanding what that means yeah. so my my assumption is is that they're all going to die out at some point not them physically but that that kind of thing because i think <laughs> yeah. that people are well they will all die out let's face it none of us are getting out of this alive um but the but for me, it goes back to what you were saying about staying, staying with it, staying with something and being dedicated. And if you do start out on something, say, let's say, for example, you think that you want to be a professional speaker and you start out on that journey. But then as you go on that journey, something else opens up to you and you think, actually, that's more Then that. It may be that you get guided but don't necessarily drop everything for that big shite briny, shite briny penny over there it's like keep with things keep those skills there it's the it's the stay on the bus thing isn't it mm-hmm. you meant bright shiny penny right what did i say shite bright <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think shite briny Which penny. I prefer, yeah, let's go for a shite briny penny. <laughs> <laughs> I knew in my head it didn't sound right, but I hadn't listened to myself clearly to be able to do that. That is brilliant. I like shite. Everyone, if you come across a shite briny penny, penny <laughs> let us know. Jules wants it. <laughs> <laughs> it's mine. <laughs> I need to trademark that quickly, don't I? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> But yeah, absolutely. We want we want to to stick with it. This is, I mean, industry wide, in, in terms of coaching, personal development, even public speaking, the people who who get into these things to make a quick buck, or who think it is a get rich quick scheme, they they uh, they generally don't last because people people wise up to it very quickly. You know, I think I mentioned to you when, when we had a chat a little while back about uh, organizing a podcast about, um, and I've mentioned uh, Mike Winner a few times, but there are other people out there as well who are talking about the people who are scamming particularly and, and that it's this almost this formula mm. of, of what they do on, on a stage or a platform and that they just bring people in. But ultimately, most of them won't stick around, although there maybe are some big names who have been around longer who seem to keep to keep doing that but ultimately this does come down to a personal integrity thing as well of are you really going to put yourself anyone can call themselves a coach and go out there we 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 work in an unregulated industry to that degree of and um, you don't have to have certification to be a coach you don't have to ha- have uh, um quote, uh, any particular association or or um authorization to be able to, to classify yourself as a coach and to take on clients in that regard as well there isn't even a requirement to have insurance to cover those, these sorts of areas of working although it probably is a good thing to have but but with uh, but with that said i used to have a real problem with it because you know there were frankly a lot of shy people calling themselves coaches and very few of them very few of those people are still working as coaches today, as, as you mentioned earlier. That most of them haven't haven't lasted the distance, and I think there's interesting. There's a few who are around. One who I spoke to not that long ago, he was still around and still coaching, and uh, um, amazing to me. But I was like, well, okay, good good luck to that person. And uh, I'm not going to even try and mention who that was uh, because I don't think she has any idea how bad she is. As right. a <laughs> <laughs> However, moving on from that, for, for the most part, those people don't stick around. It's just, just as true in public, public speaking as well, things like that, uh, you know, especially if you're doing sales from the stage. The, uh, we have seen it from experiences mm-hmm. that we've had in the personal development industry that people have been taken out by their own lack of integrity. Yep. So, I, so that I, is a big know, I issue. Think is, I, I think that is key, though. I think, you know, regardless of, of what it is that you're wanting to do, and this links back to trust, you know, what if it is integrity if it's not trust? And if you haven't got that integrity within yourself, you know, I, I, I have a thing when... Um, so I did a, an event last week and at the end of it, this particular lady said, um, Jules, do you do team building? And I said, what do you mean by team building? Getting from the clarification. And she gave me a bit of a brief overview. She said, it's not for me, it's for somebody else. And I said, look, I'm more than happy for, to have a conversation, but if it's not what I do and if I can't feel, fulfill that remit, even though I might be chucking away a few thousand pounds in that sense, I'm not going to do it because you know I would rather pass that on to somebody else who's got that skill set and that is what they do, but that's not that. If it's not what I do, then I'm not going to do it. And and I think, 
I think it's it, it goes to the same about when people say, oh, I want to be coached by you. It's like, that's fantastic. Let's have a conversation because what if I'm not the right coach for you? What if you're not even coachable? You know, let's, let's check that in first rather than just here's my booking details and here's the invoice. It's like, where's that? Where is that integrity? And I think, I do think that that's important. And I think that so many people don't even know. I think because the world is, is really caught up in this whole money game and that success is about money and, and about the, the house and what you're wearing and the car you drive and the holidays you go on, all of that sort of thing. I think that that has taken over rather than people taking a step back and saying, actually, no, that's, you know, that's not what it's all about. So I think that, I think that's, and don't get me wrong. I love money. I think money's fantastic. And I'm open to having even more of it. It's, I don't think money is a bad thing. I think it's the people that use it um, personally and and in television as well. When you've got these very well-known people, um, celebrities, that I'm looking after and there's one in particular that springs to my mind who um um so I was going around all of the actors asking them um what they uh what they wanted from the shop and I'd like a newspaper and gave me the money and I'd like some chocolate gave me the money and all the way around I get to him and said I'm going to the, the the shop would you like anything and he said absolutely I'd love um this newspaper and these sweets I think it was and I said great and then he turned around and walked off and I went oi oi you can pay just like everybody else. Oh, well, I'm sure I can sort it out later. I went, do you know how much money you're on? And do you know how much money I'm on? You can pay right now because I'm not paying for you. And he thought that was funny. So therefore gave me the money. And, and I actually, he didn't get on well with the rest of the cast, but I got on well with him because I spoke to him like that. I didn't kowtow to him. But because most other people did that, there was a different relationship. But as far as my, my rule is, look, everyone ships the same way as I do. Mm-hmm. I'll have to tell you my Shelly Bassey story one day, but it's not, it's, it's not for this podcast. It's not for the podcast. Okay, that'll be up when we stop recording then. But by, by the way, she, she's lovely. It's nothing negative. I, I really liked her. But yeah, um, cool. Uh, yeah, another time. So um, yeah, but absolutely. It's, I, I take the same kind of philosophy in my airline life. I worked in first class a lot of the time you can check it on my linkedin profile if you, if you want to don't believe me uh, but I, I used to work in first class most of the time and one of the reasons interesting is because a lot of people don't like working in first class because when it's busy it's probably the hardest cabin of the airline to be in because people can have what they want whenever they want it uh, and so every other cabin has like a structured meal service and routine right. when that's done that that's over but i, I always enjoyed it especially when the uh, were famous people just mainly not because they were famous as such but it was always interesting to see how people behaved when they were known yeah uh, known entities and definitely some better than others i would say for the, the vast majority were just regular people some of them in mm. fact were some of the loveliest people i've ever met i'm talking to you frida from abba who was just <laughs> the nicest person I've ever met in all my life, I think. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, a couple of them complete assholes, I think. Um, you, you, and you're going to come across that in life. But this is the, the reason why I, do, I treat people as people. As I, mm. I, don't, I don't care if somebody has been given a special status or benefit in life or, um, or if they're on every front page or at the top of the news cycle. I'm still going to treat them like a person if I, if I meet them in, 
people are like uh, and make my own judgments and maybe that's part of the thing that we make, we make these judgments from people all the time and we, we also have these perceptions or images of people and of how they're supposed to behave and we're almost waiting for them to do something that doesn't fit with that so that we can tear them apart yeah, I, I, I think that's the, the thing. The thing is, is it, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you're placing somebody, let's say a celebrity, as more um, more worthy because of what they've achieved or the accolades they have or whatever, is that by but the moment that you do that and you place them as a significant person and put them up on that pedestal, well, then it immediately lowers you. So therefore, psychologically, the way that you're interacting with them is as a subservient person now especially in the instance of being a server, that, that, you know, it's not that you then go, well, sorry, I'm equal to you. I'm sitting down. You go and get the champagne this time. It's your turn. Right. It's, not, it's not that, but you can, you can still serve somebody and perceive yourself as equal to them. It's just that at that moment in time, you happen to be in the role of, um, of providing the drinks or providing the food or providing the blanket, whatever it may be. Which, interestingly, brings us to, you mentioned know, mention about service, particularly interesting brings us to that point of that the, the great people, the people who maybe are down in history as the, uh, the most benevolent or the, one of the greatest thinkers or greatest leaders are the people who have maybe been of the greatest service or certainly or at least have been perceived to have been that way. Yeah. And and what what that actually requires in terms of leadership uh, of being able to to give of yourself and work to uh, a much greater goal on behalf of everyone else, which means being of service and in service to to them and to that goal, rather than just to your own outcome. And I think this is one of the things we see very clearly in society now, certainly in the world of politics, where we see that probably most of the leaderships uh, we see around us are working very much towards their own agendas and, and their own benefits, not to any kind of greater good. Absolutely. And, and I'd love to bring, because this was a shift for me when I started public speaking, it was two key things that happened for me that helped me relax and start to enjoy public speaking. One was I saw a, an Australian lady called Amanda Gore, and it was one of those conferences where it was one person after the next coming out. Um, thankfully, very little sales stuff going on, actually. There was great content. And there were seven speakers, and Amanda was the only female. And bearing in mind that the, um, the main speaker was Tony Robbins, so he's like six foot 700 or something like that. He's like mega tall. She is this tiny Australian, and I was in Canada at the time, this tiny Australian lady who came bouncing out in front of this audience of 5,000 people, most of whom were businessmen, suited and booted Canadians. And within five, 10 minutes, had us drawing little faces on our fingers and turning around to each other and going, hello, hello, <laughs> hello, and starting these conversations. Right. And people were giggling and, and it was amazing. And, and I watched her and I was like, that's what I need to do is I need to relax and be myself. She's obviously got a playful way of, she's talking about connection and she wasn't doing it from a, right, okay, these are the four steps that you need to follow. She was bringing it into a playful, curious kind of way that, that was her natural style. And for me, that was an insight as to stop trying to be a speaker. I am trying to be a speaker right now and that's what I'm doing and actually just relax and be myself. So that means I swear sometimes and all of that sort of thing. And the other thing, going back to what you were just saying, is that 
is to recognize that when you are, it doesn't matter if you're stamp, you're having a conversation with one or whether you're having a conversation with one million, is to, to be of service to them. So when I relax and, and, and am myself and recognize that whatever I'm about to say can be of service to the, that audience, then actually my attention stops from engaging in that thinking mind that's going, oh, I don't know if I can do this. Am I any good? Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, they didn't smile. Or It stops with, with that dialogue. And, and the question I hold is, how can I be of service to these people? How can I, what can I say that would, be, that would connect with them, that will, will help them from wherever they are? And bearing in mind, I don't have a one-to-one interaction with them all to be able to then craft my speech around that but very often people will say to me oh my god that was like you'd written that just for me or that really that particular bit really spoke to me or and and I think that's what's important when we get out of our own way and just think how how can I be of service right now how can I help this person how can I help this audience it's it helps us step away from that ego that's just full of crap quite frankly Mm -hmm. um that's just not helpful it's one of the things that for me, helped me overcome, I would say, overcome some level of stage, right? The fear of speaking and presenting in certain situations was putting my uh, brain to a, 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 a point of saying, this is for them. Mm. This isn't for me, this is for them. Yeah, because Maybe. you already know the information you're about to yeah. say, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I agree to some degree that... Um, when you really want to learn something, if you want to learn it on a deeper level, teach it. And, and so yeah, you, you kind of may be learning still on a different level, even when you're teaching or sharing it from, from a stage or a platform. But ultimately, it takes you out of that thing of the, the, focus, the focus being on you. Well, yeah, you're just, you are just the vehicle for the message. That, that's really it. And it's a good way to, to look at yourself as, as a speaker or a messenger in any way of that. Like, you are the vehicle for that, and and you know, like like any vehicle, you want the the that you want your ride to be as as nice and sleek or shiny or whatever as possible. However, you know it, it could be any vehicle delivering the message. The message is the most important part. Yeah, and so it's it's delivering that and delivering it hopefully in a way that that hits. And and, and so the the focus really then is on: Did you get your message across? Did the point come across? You know, in, in Toastmasters, one of the things that they that they will feed you back on is how many ums or ahs you might have said in a in a speech or presentation, which is useful. But I, I do see people in in the club level, and I, I've never been fond of that particular part of it. It's, it's just kind of useful to know. But I see people kind of kicking themselves for it. And and yet, some of the best speeches or presentations I've ever heard in my life are littered with ums and ahs. You listen so to any of Winston Churchill, there's plenty of them in that. <laughs> it, really, it really isn't the most important part of a presentation. It is just one of those useful things. that. And I, I mentioned to you before we started recording that, uh, and this is one of the things I was focusing on last night in my talk as well, there are some things that I am working on cleaning up in my own language just because, for me, it feels like an improvement. I, I'm working on trying not to say so at the start of every sentence so and, and I and I it is hard because I see so many other people doing it and and hear it all the time and it makes it even harder for me then not to do it or fall back into that it's such a common language thing and for me is that I want to use it where it's appropriate 
it's not that it's bad that anyone else is using it. It's right. just for me, it's just something I've decided I want to clean up in how I speak. And also trying not to say kind of, it's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so again, there's another, I say that too much. And, and mm. for me, it's like that I want to clean that up because I just say it too often. Uh, well, I think it's it's when langu- when we've, we're not listening to ourselves and our language becomes lazy, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and we, we we've then fallen into that collective mosh of people around us. And and I I've been working with a lot of teenagers over the last year and a half. And Brave. one of the, it's 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 amazing actually. As you know, clients always teach you so many things. And oh my gosh, I had my youngest one here last night, and um, she's she'll only be thirteen next week actually. Gosh, she's so wise. Asking us some of the questions, same questions. I'm not reframing it just because she's 12. Saying the same question I would ask an adult, and she's just like there, boom, 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 boom. But what I do notice with them as a languaging is stuff and like, and it's it's just because it's common parlance. Sure, is how people speak. Yeah, and so therefore, I think it is just. It's not about that it's wrong. It's about is this. The, the 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 like stuff so kinder whatever whatever it might be is filler that that's then potentially muddying your message and that is another it way is. it's another way of saying um or ah uh. exactly it's, it's it's filler language and, and as i said the only reason for me is like because i am a professional speaker i am someone who who speaks on online and in person for as part of my job, as part of my work, that for me it's important to clean up my language and to, to use less filler. And that, that really is what the Amanar stuff is about in Toastmasters as well, just making you aware there's a, there's a lot of filler. It doesn't necessarily take away from a message. However, when you clean that stuff up from, from your language, I think it is noticeable perhaps that you don't use that and potentially allows a little bit more impact in in message as well so for me i i can see a point to doing it it's not just because i don't like it when people keep going well i was like and she was like and it's <laughs> kind of <laughs> uh, like, oh, okay I, i'm not fond of it but i also i'm used to it enough now that that is generally how people speak and you have to accept that however for for me uh, and for anyone i think who's looking to do anything more professionally sometimes cleaning up these things can make can make a big difference and, and it's worth doing well ultimately our, our we i always i always perceive it as that that we're the transmitter and the audience of the receivers or i cannot guarantee how my message is going to be received you know just in the same way that a, a radio transmitter cannot guarantee how the what the reception is going to be like on that digital radio or analog radio there's no guarantees there but I can do my best to make sure that what I emit is as clean as possible. Therefore, it, 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 it makes it easier to be received at the other end. And I think that, that one of the reasons that people use whatever the filler is, is because they're uncomfortable with a pause or they're uncomfortable with a silence. And rather than have that there, they just trundle on through it and keep going. So um, what I wanted to say was, uh, well, I'm not really sure. So what I will kind of talk about is maybe so, um, uh, and, and, and that then what a lot of people aren't aware of is by, by doing that, it then speeds their breathing up, which then creates a discomfort physically, 
which then puts their body into a state of fight, flight, or freeze, which is why then they might experience a fear. Mm. And that's where they, be, they think they become fearful of speaking. And it's like, no, just slow down a bit. It's okay. It's okay. And, then, and, and giving them that, um, I think one of the best things I've learned, I've, I've done, I don't know how many silent retreats now. And the first one was 10 days. And I genuinely thought I was going insane around day three or four. Um, but they've been the biggest gift for me is, is to then be comfortable with that silence and recognize that there is nothing wrong with that happening. It doesn't mean that you've forgotten your words or it, it, and I think that can create far more um, gravitas actually for somebody when they're comfortable in that space rather than that whole filler, I must fill, I must fill. If, if you watch some of the best public speakers around people who win like championships of public speaking, things like that, you won't hear the filler language. You, you generally won't hear that. But what you also won't hear is constant speaking. You will hear pauses. You will hear nothing at certain points. And, and this is that understanding of the pauses that are actually giving your listener, your audience, time to think and respond. Especially if you are asking any kind of question, you need to give somebody an opportunity to answer it because it would be like saying, oh, hey, how are you today? Oh, and by the way, it's like you haven't had an opportunity to even answer the, answer the question. And it's the same with any kind of presentation as well. Give your audience a, a chance to think. Give yourself a chance to speak. Well, uh, to one of the things, well. sorry to interrupt you, Johnny. Um, I'm la- I was laughing because um, I remember being at a personal development event and the trainer was doing exactly that, was asking a question and then kept talking and kept talking and he wanted you to write it down but kept talking and at one point I went, can you just shut up so that we can actually answer the question you've asked? So it's like you're just not being helpful here. But I think that, um, oh, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, yeah, so one again, one of the gifts I had of working in the theatre was that I was taught um, by the theatre director who would would encourage the actors when there was a curtain call it was usually me and and an actor that decided as to whether there was going to be another curtain call and it, it the, the the thing was about you can you can hear that you can you can hear that space as to that crescendo and where it's going to be but you can work it out by how much space you've given the audience for other things during the day during the show rather mm-hmm. You have to give the audience time to laugh because if you if you if you crack a joke and the audience laugh but you carry on speaking, you're training them not to laugh because they're going to miss the next bit of dialogue. So if you carry on doing that, then after a while they're going to stop laughing even if they think it's funny because you've trained them shut up because I've got my stuff to get through. Yeah. So you need to create create that that space there for them. Yeah, I, I can remember a training. I think we were a training that we were both at together as well, a, a presentation skills training, where um, I were I was on stage doing something, and I could like most people who were learning public speaking and tra- training and presentation skills couldn't wait to get off the stage. So I've done my I've done whatever I was doing. People are clapping, and I'm uh, I'm like Speedy Gonzalez off the stage, and and then get pulled back on by the trainer it says. No, stand there and receive your applause. Receive your applause. Uh, I did some improv comedy training and the the guy did the same thing. Um, You know, you you have to stand, even if you've come on and said, tomato, 
and there's a silence and then the audience are instructed to implause because that's the way the course works but you have to stand and receive it and it's it's such a good lesson it really yeah. is absolutely and, and an important part of just getting that and um, you have to give them the opportunity to do what you want them to do. And like you said, train them. You're training them to clap but, yeah, yeah. And, to, and to show their appreciation. And they want to. And so you are in some way depriving them of that if you're, right. if you're not going to. So think of that the same way with uh, presentation as well. If you are not pausing for breath or taking any stops, you are also depriving your audience of an opportunity to really listen or answer the questions or take on a deeper level what you're saying or the messages that you really want to drive home. Absolutely. I think just in respect of looking after your time, we need to draw things to a close. However, you know, this could be a day-long podcast. However, <laughs> <laughs> people need to eat and drink, right? And um, with that, one thing I want to ask you, if there was maybe one... Are you often saying podcasts is there a question not to us, but it hasn't really been that kind of that kind of podcast. But if there was a message or something you really wanted to leave people with today, maybe some from things we've talked about or just something that's important to you, what what would it be? I, th- I think I would bring it back to trust, and I and I would say that it that you know trusting trusting yourself and trusting you and, and trusting life. And I think that, as, as you know, Johnny, I was uh, quite ill a couple of years ago. And uh, one of my, my business mentor this week, we were talking and she said, I don't know how you got through all of that. But what I can see is just how much you, your trust has grown and how much you, you trust in, in life and the life experience so much more. And I think that, that that to me is what's important, whether it is about getting and going on and doing a podcast or a webinar or a training or going to Toastmasters or doing a talk or starting your business or whatever it is, is trust yourself. Take, remove the expectation of it has to go a certain way and trust yourself to have a go so that you can learn from that and then, and then grow through that. That's a a really nice message to, to wrap up on before we wrap up completely. There may be some people in the audience who are thinking that, they would like to know more about you or maybe find out about confidence coaching and if that might be right for them. How can they get in touch with you? Where should they go? If you go to juleswyman.com, which is J-U-L-E-S-W-Y-M-A-N.com. And um, that's obviously my website and that's got all of the social medias on there. Um, One of the things I do is a Facebook Live every Monday night at 7 p.m. UK. So people can come on and ask questions or ask me to talk about topics. Um, and there's, yeah, there's just all the things on there as well as a seven keys of confidence uh, free webinar that you can access as well. So that's the best way to get hold of me. Perfect. Well, I'll put all the links to those in the description box for anyone who's watching or listening. And we'll wrap up by me saying thank you so much, Jules. I could oh, talk to you forever and ever. And, well, <laughs> maybe we will have another podcast another time and carry on a different conversation and some other tangents and who knows what else. <laughs> who knows what else I mean. might come up. It was interesting. We had this plan for the conversation and I was like, oh, I couldn't find it. So, well, we'll just talk about whatever. And, and it's been fantastic. So thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. 
pleasure. That's for me. Thank you. And Thank you uh, I, will, me. I will look forward to our next uh, Chin Mag, which will probably be at least a couple of hours again, as it usually <laughs> is. <laughs> and and in the meantime, I hope you will, if watching and listening, check Jules out. And if there's been anything in the podcast that you think, I've learned something from that, or that's something I could do with doing more of, or I need to practice, take that use it and do something with it then just listen to it and think that that's what learning is about learning is about putting into action the stuff that you actually learn and that you gain and then being able to do it for yourself so whatever you've learned here anything at all go and do it for yourself and work to become your own expert and don't expect people to be perfect Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please make sure you like and subscribe to stay updated for future episodes. If you think you'd make a great guest on the Loki podcast, or you know someone who would, or you have any feedback that might help us to improve the show in the future, please email me directly, john at presentinfluence.com, or visit the Present Influence website or our LinkedIn, Facebook, or Twitter accounts. We look forward to hearing from you and connecting with you there and seeing you again on a future episode of the Loki Podcast.